Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Uh, Dr. Paul uh, Vimenez will be speaking on curbing civil liberties. What can Canadians expect after the recent attacks on uh, our soldiers and Parliament? And the week after, Dr. Brian Keating uh, from Calgary, the Calgary Zoo will be here. Uh, he'll be talking here and at the university uh, about uh, going wild in Africa and the poles. He's a zoo expert. With that in mind, I'd like to invite uh, Imam Syed back to the podium. Uh, there's a microphone over here. Please keep your questions short. We don't want speeches. We've had a very interesting speaker. And keep your questions uh, brief, and uh, we can then accommodate more people. Microphone Thank is over there. Thank you. Uh, Terry Shillington, uh, thank you very much for your presentation. Um, Saudi Arabia keeps popping up in these conversations as a place, as a hotbed for, uh, for, bad, for bad things, I guess you'd say. And, and uh, I wonder if you could comment on why that is. There's no civil wars or anything like that. So uh, how is it that it becomes a hotbed for some of these movements? Uh, as I mentioned to you, the origin of Wahhabi Salafi ideology is from Saudi Arabia. Yes, if you, I, I, by the way, I have taught in a Saudi university for seven years. So I have lived in Saudi Arabia for seven years, and um, I have seen the whole kingdom. Why Saudi Arabia is in, in the spotlight, the reason, if you look at the 9-11, out of 19 terrorists, 15 were from Saudi Arabia. In Afghan Jihad, I don't call it Jihad, but I'm just using it because people understand what I'm saying. Uh, it was mostly funded and supported by Saudi Arabia. And the people who fought there, Osama bin Laden and those people, they are all from Saudi Arabia. And they are very good fighters. And the reason is they believe in imposing their belief system on, on the entire world. And for that, if they have to fight, they believe that it is the right thing to do. And they call it jihad. So that is the reason that Saudi Arabia is in this spotlight. Because the ideology of hate and violence and terrorism comes from those people who are the clergy of Saudi Arabia. My name, my name is Cosmos Boutsinas, um, and um, I'd like to ask you a question. And thank you very much for, for the enlightened presentation. You mentioned that there are about 1.4 billion Muslims what percentage of those Muslims subscribe to the Wahhabi Salafi ideology? What percentage about? <clears throat> I, I cannot be 100% correct, but 
what I can give you, before this 9-11 tragedy, or I would say let's 30 years if you go back, the Wahhabi following <coughs> were very small minority, very small, within the Sunni, by the way. Wahhabi also call themselves Sunnis. ISIS, they call themselves Sunnis. So you have to understand. So they had a very small uh, following, basically mostly so- so- Saudi Arabia and, and the Gulf region and some other parts. But what happened, because of the petrodollars, petro uh, oil money, and, and, and the huge wealth that the Saudi Arabia has, they are spreading their ideology, which is the belief system, around the world. And they have been quite successful in spreading Wahhabi Salafi beliefs around the Muslim world, even in Canada, United States, Europe, quite aggressively. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. In, in Bosnia, when there was a civil war in the 90s, if you look at the Bosnia before civil war, overwhelming majority of Bosnians, or mosque, let me give you an example, mosque, were the followers of Sufi tradition. Sufis are pacifists of Islam. I, by the way, I follow the Sufi tradition of Islam. We are the pacifists. In other words, we are like your Mennonites. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so, uh, most Bosnian, most of the mosques, 90% mosques, were Sufi tradition mosques. After the civil war, during the rebuilding process, the money came from West to rebuild the, uh, uh, the infrastructure. But the mosque, its religious institutions, were built by Saudi Arabia. And now today, 60 or 70 percent mosques are Wahhabis there. Because when Saudi Arabia gives you money, they give you their beliefs too. They bring, they bring their clergy with that. So it's not free money, it's not easy money, it has a price tag to pay. Most of the mosques in North America, not just Canada, both United States and Canada, were built in the beginning in 70s, 80s and early 90s. With the funding from Saudi Arabia. When the Saudi Arabia built those mosques with their funding, they brought their clergy with them. So that's why it is spreading. So I do not know how much is the following is, but this whole emergence of Wahhabi Salafi following is within the last 30 years. And it is spreading like a wildfire. It is, and that is my concern, and I'm raising this voice. But some Muslims see this as me as a sectarian because I am pointing out one sect in Islam. But I'm pointing out it's not out of hate, out of huge concern because look at the all the terrorist groups, whether it is Nigerian Boko Haram or Al Qaeda or Taliban, ISIL, Khurasan, Al Nusra, Al Shabab in Somalia, all these terrorist groups. Trust me, if I'm wrong, believe me, whatever punishment you will give me, I will accept it. All these terrorist groups, whether they are Somalia or Pakistan or Afghanistan or uh, Middle East, they are all 100% Wahhabi Salafis. No other sect of Islam is involved in it. Neither Shia nor Sunnis. There are many sects in Islam. There are many denominations in Islam. No sect of Islam, no followers of any sect of Islam, except the Wahhabi Salafi followers. And they are growing. They are growing very fast, because they have lots of money. Fairness is that a problem is growing with people with ideologies that you have to confront 
with logic, which has never happened in the over religion, over God's name. Lots of innocent people have been killed, millions, in the past from all religions. So how, how would you handle that? That's, that's exactly it, it, the problem. And if this is not handled by Muslims, of course, this is a Muslim problem. I'm, this is not a Christian problem or, or anybody's problem. This is a Muslim problem. And we have to stand up against this whole thing. And there are many Muslims, by the way. There was a recent, there was a conference recently in Jordan. And they, they had the same issue. And they wanted to talk about how to stop this radicalism, Salafism, and Wahhabism. The, the scholars from entire Muslim world, they were there, the leader of uh, the clergy. And they discussed those issues. And this is a matter of concern. And if it is not stopped, it is going to be a problem for the whole world. It's not going to be a problem just for Muslims. It is affecting every Canadian. It is affecting every Westerner. It is affecting Muslims and non-Muslim world. East or West. And this needs to be stopped. And how we can stop? Yes, we can do within the Muslim community to educate, to reach out, to counter them. But also on the other side, at the government level, government has to stop uh, supporting them as well. And how the government supports? I know the support is, is reducing, but it is not completely stopped. In North America... Most of the mosques, especially in the United States, when they were built, they were built by the Saudi funding in Canada also, and they were supported by the government. And government has to stop supporting them, providing them, encouraging them. The problem is Saudi Arabia is now part of G20. Saudi Arabia is an ally of United States. At the government level, we, they are partners with the Western world. They are part of G20 now. How we can stop them? So this is going to be a problem unless the government changes their view and attitude towards Saudi Arabia and ask them to give the freedom to Muslims, those who live in, 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 in Saudi Arabia. I don't have freedom in Saudi Arabia, by the way. A lot of people do not know. I can practice Islam more here in Canada than any other Muslim country. I cannot do a lot of things in Saudi Arabia being a Muslim. I cannot do a lot of things in Iran being a Muslim. Iran being a Saudi clergy and Saudi Arabia being a Sunni clergy. For example, I celebrate my Prophet's birthday. <coughs> Prophet Muhammad sallallahu peace be upon him. If I do this thing in Saudi Arabia, I would be in jail. In jail, it's a serious crime. It's an offense. So, so we, we, we do have a problem. So I'm not saying that we don't have a problem. We have a problem and I hope that people will realize the dangers of this Wahhabi Salafi ideology. It has to be recognized. I, I'm Trevor Page and I have two related questions. I, I was interested to hear what you said at the beginning of your talk on the number of Muslims in Canada. One million in Canada, and I wrote down 60 to 70,000 in Calgary, yep. and 500,000 in Ontario. And since you certainly outnumber the Jews, I wonder why it is that you don't have much influence with our Prime Minister. And perhaps you could comment on the reason for that. 
And the second question is regards jihad. And I wonder to what extent you think that the struggle of young Muslims in Canada and other parts of the West is against being treated as second-class citizens. The Muslim youth? About young Muslim youth in Canada and the West, not just Canada, as being treated, a struggle against being treated as second-class citizens. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> the first is, uh, why don't we have influence on, on our Prime Minister? Uh, no, and this is a very serious question too, and, uh, and we Muslim also struggle. Why? And the reason is, the Muslim community is quite divided. Um, I'm not going to compare with the Jewish community. I'm just going to speak for, for Muslim community. So we, we, we are quite divided. And the problem with the Muslim community is that every imam, you know, I like Catholics. The reason is, at least they have a leader, Pope. But in, 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 within the Muslim community, every imam is a Pope. That's a challenge. So we are not united. Every imam thinks that I have the authority to speak for all Muslims. That's, that's a problem. So we are not united. We are very disintegrated, especially the Sunni Muslims. And because of that disunity, we don't have influence on the government. And, 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 and whenever a Muslim candidate stands up for a member of parliament, then another stands up to counter that Muslim brother. So, the, the, so, so that's, that's a challenge. Uh, now, on the second question, I hope that we will get there slowly. Uh, to influence uh, the government policies, um, it, is, it is a gradual process. And second thing is also, we have to understand, majority of Muslims in Canada, they are new immigrants. They are here 30 years, maximum 35, that's it. I came here 20 years ago. And, and uh, so, uh, since we are establishing ourselves, we have big mortgages, we need to pay the bills. I mean, those who have been here for generations, they, have their, they are established Canadians, right? So we are new Canadians. We are economically is not as strong as, as the people who have been here for generations. Uh, as a community, I'm talking. I'm not talking individual level. So economically, we are struggling. We are new immigrants. And we, have, uh, we need to settle down. And, and I hope within next two, three generations, uh, we should be okay. Uh, now, on the, on the feeling that the Muslim youth have that they are treated as a second-grade citizens, this is absolutely a major concern. And I have raised this issue in the media many, many times, that we do not let our youth feel that they are second-grade Canadians or second-grade Westerners. And the reason is, there are three reasons for this isolation. And this is a very dangerous reason, because this is what creates a brainwashed person. This is what creates a recruitment opportunities for ISIL and ISIS. This is what an isolate a Canadian from the mainstream society. Number one, the policies, especially in the Middle East. I don't want to talk politics, but this is definitely um, one of the reasons of this whole isolation. What happens between Palestine and Israel? Uh, majority of Muslims sees this as, as a one-sided policy and, uh, and not fair policy. And, and uh, Canada used to be a peacemaker, peace broker. Now we are not in that role anymore. 
And that what creates sort of a de- deprivation in the minds and the hearts of a Muslim youth. I We live in a country why we are not fair, why our government is not treating equally. That's our United States uh, for that matter. So the policies of the government, especially in the Middle East, is from a Muslim perspective. I I'm, 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 no, my, my Jewish brothers and sisters and my Christian, they may disagree with me, but that's the way we see it. And we may be not seeing it right, but that's the way we see it, that it is not fair, it is, uh, it is one-sided, and it is quite biased. Second thing is that the, uh, because we are mostly new immigrants in this society, um, we have language barriers, we have uh, um, other cultural barriers, uh, especially for women, there is a lot of uh, restrictions, there are a lot of, uh, I call roadblocks, or obstacles, and because our women, when we come from Muslim countries, they are not very outgoing. Uh, they are not very well in English, so they 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 take time, maybe some years, to to bring themselves up to the level of, may not be the level, but at, to that level where they can go out and share their views or share their stories or share their feelings. Um, so so these these are the feelings that. Uh, that definitely have Muslim youth in their minds. So I hope the policies of the Western world uh, becomes uh, fair, unbiased, for justice for everybody. I, I am a biggest proponent of uh, two-state solution in the Middle East. I have always supported Israel has the right to exist, of course, yes. But Palestine has the right to exist too, as a state, as a free country as an honorable, as our Jewish brothers and sisters in Israel. If we have that situation, we will be in peace. Unfortunately, we don't have that. And we need to get that situation. Thank you very much. And for the answer to those questions, too, uh, Mary Shillington. Um, I ha- came up with one question, but all, all the things you said have, has kind of sparked some other ideas. But I came up with a question about the concern that we hear. I'm a CBC listener, and we hear lots about uh, what can we be doing uh, and what can the Muslim community be doing to stop the the young people from going over to fight. And you t- shared some things uh, at our table. I wonder if you can expand on that and talk about uh, what's going on for them, and uh, and and then of course it's closely related to the whole immigration issues. And even though we talk about being inclusive in Canada and Alberta, we really aren't uh, very well. And so, as a social worker, that's a big concern for me. And working with immigrant people, so uh, can you say some things about all those issues? Thank you. Yeah, how how we can stop this? Uh, I think. Uh, as a Muslim community, it, it is our responsibility to educate our own kids, girls and boys both. Um, that's what I do. I travel across this country almost every weekend. Um, for the last, uh, since 9-11, uh, it is consistent and uh, I, I do recognize the sacrifice that my family gives for me. Uh, because every first weekend I'm in Toronto, every second weekend I'm in BC, third weekend I'm in Montreal, only fourth weekend in Calgary. So, and this is consistently since for the last uh, 13, 14 years, because I, I work as an IT consultant. So this is not my, my, that this does not bring food to my home. 
I have a job as an engineer, so I, I work as an engineer. But all this, my religious work is, is, is a volunteer, 100% volunteer work. So I travel across this country. I have a course called Islam 101, and I offer that course free of charge to Muslim youth, which is sort of a de-radicalization education about jihad, about uh, uh, coexistence with Jews and Christians, tolerance, acceptance, sanctity of life. All those aspects of Islam are very important. So I offer that course across the country, and we sit down with Muslim youth. And there are Muslim, many imams are doing it, but there are not many imams also not doing it. So we want them, all of them to be doing it. Today in Calgary, it is just a coincidence, today in Calgary the Muslim clergy is meeting with the chief of police, and we are meeting together how we can work with the police to, to be vigilant and, and to inform them, to work with them, or to de-radicalize if somebody has been brainwashed. Uh, in the past, I have done sort of uh, some counseling to some of the Muslim young boys who were quite uh, uh, brainwashed and quite inclined towards uh, what is called the armed jihad. And um, so I had to explain to them, and, and, and finally they understood. But I don't get in touch with every Muslim youth here. Um, we know that uh, 30 Calgarians are, have gone there and... And more than 15,000 Canadians are fighting for ISIL in Iraq. 15,000, no, sorry, there are 1,500 Canadians fighting and 15,000 Westerners are fighting, all from the Europe and North America. So they, they need to be educated, and the education is, is going to be a long process, slow process. Unfortunately, uh, we don't have those resources that we need in order to reach out to every Muslim youth. And that's what we need, actually. With the help from the law enforcement, with the government working together, I think we should be able to to help and reduce, if not eliminate. But on the immigration side, yes, uh, um, this is uh, definitely a major concern. Uh, we have initiated some of women's program. We have Al-Madina Calgary Women Association, uh, where the women's come, and those who just are new immigrants, and they don't even speak English a single word. So we help them, we guide them, and we tell them what are your rights. Um, I'm not sure how many of you know that I walked across this country from Halifax to Victoria in 2008. And my walk was about multi-faith walk against violence. Right? Thank you. And... and uh, when I was walking, uh, a lot of Canadians uh, came to me and they shared their domestic violence stories, their horrible stories, discrimination, racism, whether it was natives or Japanese uh, origin uh, Canadians. Uh, and they, uh, so we went through that, um, I went through that learning lesson. So, but this is, this is an ongoing process. I think with the new immigrants, when they settle down, their next generation, maybe the third generation, I think we will be... A, assimilated in this society, and then it will be better. But until then, it's going to be an ongoing struggle. My name is uh, Knut Peterson. Svet, uh, could you make a little comment about what it's like to be a moderate? It's not always easy being a moderate, uh, especially in the eyes of Sun Media and uh, uh, a certain personality within that <laughs> network. I wonder if you could comment on that. And also, uh, I listened to uh, Gwyn 
Dreyer the other night, and he said that, uh, basically said that ISIS is probably just a flash in the pan. <clears throat> yeah, uh, moderate. Um, uh, for me, a Muslim is a moderate person, supposed to be a moderate person. Because in the Holy Quran, the description of a Muslim is that you are ummatul wasth, means you are the mo- people of moderation. So that's the way we should be. We should not be extremists. Even worshipping God in Islam is forbidden in an extreme form. You cannot worship God all the time. You cannot just be worshipping. You have the right of your own body. You have the right of your family. So we cannot be extremists uh, in, in, in any shape or form. Uh, but definitely when I speak up against these things, I get a lot of criticism. When I establish Muslims against terrorism, and you may know Muslims against terrorism, I did not establish after 9-11. I established Muslims Against Terrorism right in Calgary in 1997, way before 9-11. Because I saw that Muslims were taking that path of what is called hijacking, kidnapping, asking ransom. And why I established Muslims Against Terrorism? Because there was a news back in that some Americans were touring Malaysia and they were kidnapped by, by a Filipino group, a Muslim group in Philippines. And they kidnapped them and they took them and they were asking ransom. I said, excuse me, how you can kidnap civilians? And how you can ask ransom? That's why I established Muslims Against Terrorism. So uh, so these, when I established it, a lot of Muslims opposed me. I get hate mail from Muslims and non-Muslim both. Like people who follow Sun Media. I get a lot of hate mail from them. I get hate mail from Muslims too. Because they think I am supporting an infidel government. Stephen Harper is an infidel and I'm supporting him. So, so I, I get these kind of things from Muslims too. Right? And they think you are, you, you are very cozy with Christians and Jews. So that is definitely I get those kind of things. But it does not bother me. It, it gives me more encourage. Because I need to work. I think if I'm getting these emails, it means there is more work needs to be done. And I, it encourages me, not bothers me. Uh, Bev Trainer, I want to say uh, thank you so much for bringing uh, what you bring to help educate us in regards to uh, your people and religion. Uh, I worked most of my career in Northeast Calgary. I had a lot of Muslim families that uh, children were in my classroom. I found once the women uh, came out and learn to trust you, that we had an excellent relationship. And my question to you, which I, I guess I feel is hugely important, how do we bring Muslim women and Christian women together? Because I think that is huge in regards to the education of children, uh, especially when there's so many Muslim women that are still staying at home and tending to that aspect of their children. So my question to you is, how do we go about promoting that? that, that that's excellent question. And how I do, and this is what <clears throat> I have been doing it for some time. So it is, I, I do get involved in interfaith dialogue. But interfaith dialogue between a Christian pastor, a Muslim imam, or a Jewish rabbi remains at the clergy level. What I do in Calgary, and I have done it many, many times, I take my whole congregation with women, with children, with men, whole family, even infant children. We all go to church. 
for example salmon valley united church we do we go there we have uh, anglican church um, st martin anglican church we went there so we take the whole congregation and we share meal and the christian families come muslim families come we sit down with each other we talk with each other and that's what we need to work at the grassroots level where women children families come together and share the meal meal is very good thing to be shared and it brings people together and that's what we do and uh, that's what i have done it many many times and we do every year for example christmas is coming we, i think we are the only mosque in canada maybe around the world where for the last 17 years every christmas eve we bring a christian pastor in our mosque and that christian talk talks about christianity christmas and what jesus is in the uh, christian faith and all muslim listen we are the only mosque in the world where we have hanukkah this is happening in calgary and for the last it's not just one year 17 years and hanukkah we started about i think 11 or 12 years now and we bring a jewish rabbi we bring a jewish uh, uh, community members they come and they sit down and they sing their rhymes and we enjoy it so 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 what we need to do is not to have a at the, at the upper level at the clergy level or leaders level we need to work as a community and family level that will bring down the barriers Anyone else have a pressing question? If not, uh, Imam Saeed, uh, I want to thank you for an excellent presentation. Uh, you've been forthright. You've given us information, and I think you've brought a lot of understanding to us. I want to point out once again that he's the founder of the Sunni organization in Canada. and how many of you have met before and i'm going to shake his hand again before he leaves because i've never shaken the hand of a direct uh member that descends from prophet muhammad and that's quite an accomplishment so thank you very much